HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, We, as always, are live uh, from Roberta's Pizza, and you are listening to The Farm Report. I'm Leah Eden. I'm a guest hosting for today. Um, And this afternoon, we have Laura Ten Eyck on the phone. Uh, She's been on the network before in her capacity at the New York State Office of the American Farmland Trust. Uh, But today, we invited her on to talk a little bit about sustainable hop production in the the Northeast. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, it's, it's nice to have you on with a, with a different hat today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so, so Laura and her husband, um, you guys are hop farmers um, at Heidelsberg uh, Hop Farm in upstate New York. It's and actually pronounced Heldeberg Hop Farm, but yeah. Heldeberg. Oh, okay. Um, and you're also you're working on a, uh, a book about regional hop production. So we've, we've right. got uh, all sorts of fun stuff to talk about today. Um, so before we kind of get into uh, our region, the Northeast, our history with hop production, I'm wondering if you can give us kind of a, a quick understanding. I think probably a lot of our listeners um, are familiar with the term hops. Uh, those of us who may have consumed a beer or two in our life um, know that there is some relationship there. Uh, it's, it's the flavor uh, agent. But kind of give us a, a brief understanding of what role the, the hop plant plays in brewing beer. Okay. Um, well, you know, way back when people first started brewing beer, they didn't use hops. Um, they used other types of herbs to flavor the beer. And then around about, mm, I don't know, 1100, <laughs> 1200, they um, started experimenting with hops and found that um, hops have two things. One is they add flavor to beer, and they also are um, antibacterial, so they act as a preservative. And including hops in beer makes the beer keep longer. So this allowed people to start producing uh, beer in larger quantities and shipping at greater distances. So it kind of gave rise to the commercial beer industry. 
Um, a hop is basically, it's a, it's a vine. It's actually called a bine with a B because of the way it grows, because of the way it climbs. Um, it's a little different from a vine. But it's basically a really big vine that crawls up high as it can go and produces a lot of flowers that look like little green pine cones. And those are the hop flowers, and it's actually the flower that's used in making beer. Um, inside the flower, there's a substance called lupulin. It's like a sticky yellow resin, and it kind of it forms underneath the petals of the flower, sort of at the core. And the lupulin is where the, all the properties reside that have the antibacterial properties and have the aroma characteristics and the bittering flavor that makes beer beer. Hmm, okay, so I, I want to get a little bit further into um, kind of where that hop flower comes from and how kind of, you know, you and your husband are taking care of it. Mm-hmm. But before we dive into to that part of it, um, you know, you guys are located here in, in New York growing, growing hops here, um, but that's somewhat of a uh, both a new and an old phenomena. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, from my understanding, the this region, the Northeast, used to be the, the largest hop producer. Um, and then uh, a lot of the crops kind of went through this, this disappearance, this destruction. Can you kind of give us a, you know, a little bit of an understanding of why, why that took place? Kind of why did the, the production kind of come to a halt? And, and sort of where are we now in that, uh, in that change in history? Okay. Well, you know, hops are native to the United States um, in North America, but basically they were growing wild when people first uh, came from Europe to live here. And when those people came, they brought their own hop plants with them on the off chance they'd be able to grow them and continue to make beer, which was obviously a really important part of everybody's diet, especially because they weren't really drinking as much water then because of purity issues. Um, anyway, they, they because New York, being on the East Coast, was sort of where the European colonists kind of first settled, um, some of the really big hop farming naturally occurred out in this part of the country. And um, New York State was, by the, by the mid-1800s, um, the biggest hop-producing state in the country. Um, of course, you know, the traditional home of hop production has, is in Germany. Um, anyhow... The New York State hops were were huge, and they were supplying all the all the brewing in the country. And basically, it has to be hops have to grow in a place that has winter because they have to go into dormancy in order to come back and grow and produce flowers. So, growing them like in the South wasn't an option. Um, late 1800s, early 1900s, the hop yards in New York State uh, were dealt several blows. Um, Two blows were through disease, basically. Powdery mildew and downy mildew are two of the big enemies of hops. And uh, infestation started in the hop yards and weakened the hops, uh, in some cases, you know, killing them, destroying them. At the same time, prohibition was coming into play, so there was reduced uh, beer production going on. And as people were moving out west and had strongly settled out west, uh, they began to grow hops in California and Washington and Oregon. And uh, one of the things that really hops really don't like is a lot of moisture. They grow best in a fairly, I mean, they need a lot of water, but they can't be in a really humid climate. And so because there's parts of Oregon and Washington 
for example, in the Yakima Valley that are actually fairly arid, the hops took off there, and the problems with disease, because the area was drier, were not as significant. So they basically took over the market, and the hop production completely stopped in New York State, essentially, uh, although there were random hop vines continuing to grow, whether they'd gone feral from hop yards or or people were just, you know, keeping them on, one or two on just for themselves. Uh, but basically commercial hop production ended at that point. Right. So, Laura, let's let's fast forward a little bit to kind of today and um, maybe talk to us a little bit about kind of where the – you know, you're, uh, you and your husband are, are growing hops locally, and, and you're starting to kind of see some more interest in both regional and, and craft beers as well as, uh, you know, regional hop production. Kind of bring us into today. Where, where was that trend or where was that kind of impetus coming from to sort of bring back the, the north, northeastern hop production? And sure. Maybe kind of maybe help us see that through your own story and kind of why, why and how you and your husband um, – fell into uh, to hop production. Okay. Well, you know, um, my husband, uh, his name is Dietrich Gehring. He's always been very obsessed with beer and the craft brewing movement overall. Um, the hop growing has kind of returned to New York State indirectly as a result of the local foods movement because everybody is seeking to consume uh, farm products that are grown closer to home. The craft beer industry is really no different. And as they continue to outdo each other with really unique recipes and unique flavors, they're moving now into the frontier of wanting to have their beer produced with locally grown ingredients. Um, seeing this trend in New York State, Governor Cuomo passed a law, um, and the legislature passed a law for called the Farmstead Brewery Act, where um, the production of beer is now considered an agricultural activity. So farms can brew beer, providing that a certain percentage of their products are grown in New York State. So that opens a huge door for economic development, which um, we're trying to walk through. Uh, Basically, the problem is a lot of people want to brew beer with locally grown ingredients, but the ingredients aren't really there yet, especially in any kind of volume. So um, people are starting to grow hops, and we are among those people. Um, we have my family has an apple orchard in Albany County, and we own a section of that farm. And we've started putting in hop yards. Um, there's a lot of other people across the state that are starting to put in hop yards as well in order to ramp up production. Um, barley, of course, is going to be another issue. Um, that's another ingredient required, and there's not much barley being produced in New York State either. Uh, our ultimate goal is to be able to have our own farmstead brewery, where not only are we raising hops, um, selling them to other brewers, but we're brewing beer ourselves. Right. And we've already started with a hard cider that we're using uh, hops in. It's called Hopped Up Hard Cider. So <laughs> that's, that, that's kind of where we're at. Okay. And so, so Laura, maybe kind of take us back because... You know, it sounds like, you know, you and, and your husband have been, uh, you know, beer appreciators and, um, you know, kind of looking looking at um, some of the, the book proposal um, that you guys were sort of um, taking this transition from being, you know, beer hobbyists to, to growing hops commercially. Talk us right. through a little bit some of those first steps. I mean, did you, when you say, you know, putting up a hop yard, what's kind of step one and step two of that process? Okay. 
Um, well, when you decide you want to start growing hops, um, the first thing you have to do is get a hold of hop rhizomes. And what a rhizome is, is it's, it's not really the root, but it's sort of an underground stem from which the roots and the above-ground vine grow. And um, they're available through various sources, but the idea, the, the important thing is to get them from a place that has them disease-free. And there's an organization called the Northeastern Hop Alliance that is working with, with New York State growers and new, growers in Vermont and New England uh, to obtain disease-free rhizomes. And, and you get these rhizomes, and you, you basically plant them in the ground. And um, what you have to do is lay, lay out a hop yard, which is a, basically a network of tall poles, because the hops need to climb, um, especially if you're going to be – I mean, they will grow on the ground flat out, but then you'll never be able to harvest them because they'll get tangled up with everything else. So they have to grow straight up. So the big part of – there's several components of starting a hop yard. One is you have to prepare the soil. Um, you have to have the right pH of the soil and the right nutrients in the soil. Then you have to um, put up your poles and your trellis system, which is where the vines will grow. And then you put the rhizomes in the ground. And obviously, you have to care for them and train them to grow up the poles uh, so that you can harvest the flowers at the end of the season. And, and so, Laura, when you talk about these rhizomes, like, what are we talking about a, a seed like we would for, um, you know, a, any other kind of plant? Are we talking about like a little seedling vine? Kind of what, what does it look like? Well, it, it looks like it, it looks like a root. OK, mm-hmm. it looks like you dug up the root of a plant. Um, it's like a brown, twisty kind of underground branch type of thing that it has little eyes on it, sort of like a potato, and that's where the sprouts come out of. Uh, so basically, you, you can grow hop from seed, but it's really not done because hops don't grow true to variety. There's lots of different kinds of varieties of hops, just like there's lots of different varieties of apples, like Macintosh and Cortland. With hops, you have Cascade and Fuggle, for example. So, um, but when male and female hop plants pollinate, the seed that gets produced in the flowers isn't necessarily going to produce the same kind of plant that its parents were. So basically, people try to keep male plants out of the hop yard and propagate only female hop plants and do that only from the roots. Huh. Okay. Well, we, we're going to actually take a very quick break. Um, and, you know, we've now we've put up our hop yard. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about what, what happens after you've, you've put <laughs> down those roots and kind of have you take us through a season. So uh, sure. stay tuned in. We'll be back. Alrighty. White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. 
One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. Great. Well, you are uh, tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. We are still live from Roberta's, and you are listening to The Farm Report. I'm Leah Eden, I'm guest hosting for today. Um, we've got Laura Ten Eyck on the line, and we are talking about growing hops. Uh, so, Laura, you've, you've taken us to the, to the place where we have, um, we've, we've planted our, our rhizomes. And kind of before we, we get to the next stage, give me a sense of, you know, what, what kind of land, like how much land are we talking about? Kind of... Um, uh, you know what? What sort of the the size of, of production that we have here? How many uh, how many of these little rhizomes have you have you planted? And kind of where does that uh, take you with the end result? Okay. Well, you know because hops grow so high. I mean, they grow like eighteen, twenty feet tall. They don't necessarily take up a lot of room on the ground. Um, we're talking about having. Um, right now, we have a, a three-year planting, three-year-old planting of a hundred hops on a tenth of an acre, and um, we also have another half an acre that contains another 500 hop vines growing. So, to get the full acre, we're going to be putting in um, a full acre has about a thousand hop plants growing on it. Okay, and and so you've sort of described this this vine, and you know I sort of I haven't seen a hot plant, but I sort of have like a like a vineyard um, in my mind to, to yeah, some degree. Yeah, it's like a, a vineyard for giants. <laughs> for giants. I mean, did you ever see Jumanji? <laughs> the scene no. when the vine comes growing all through the house, and it's like this ultra super vine. That's what the hot vine is like. It's this crazy fast growing plant. It can grow like as much as a foot a day. Oh my and, goodness! Um, and and so and it becomes not only does it become very tall, but it becomes very bushy. So um, you know, one of the big challenges is once you get this this sort of little vine starts to come out of the ground, and um, actually a lot of little vines start to come out of the ground. And what you have to do is pick the strongest, best looking one, choose that vine to start to train up your trellis system, and. Um, then you cut back all the others and try to get the plant to put all its energy into growing this one vine. So basically it grows up a string that's hanging sort of suspended horizontally from the tops of the poles, uh, from a wire at the tops of the poles. And it grows up the string and um, it starts putting out all these side branches and those are where the flowers start to form. And um, that usually happens midsummer, And then the flowers become fully developed around the end of the summer, end of August. And that's when your real problems start because now you have to pick them. And they're very high up in the air. And it, it's most commercial hop farms, big ones, have mechanical hop harvesters. So what you do is you cut the vine down and you feed it through this mechanical harvester, which has basically got these little rubber fingers that sort of strip the flowers off of the vine. Unfortunately, we don't have that yet, and nor do most people in New York. Only a couple people do right. because well, we're still in the infancy. So all those flowers have to get picked off the vine by hand. Okay, Laura, and I w- want to talk a little bit about the harvesting because it's a pretty interesting process. But before we before we get into that, you kind of painted a picture of the the what you're actually planting in the ground. But can you 
kind of give me a, an image of, you know, if I had like a hop flower in my hand midway through its season and then when it's ready to be harvested, what does it kind of, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How big is it? Okay. Well, when it starts to sort of bud, but that's, they call it a burr. And basically it's like a little green ball. It's, um, you know, it looks sort of like a, not like a burdock, but it's about the size and shape of a little burr. And it, as it develops, it becomes longer and um, oh, the best thing I can compare it to is a pine cone because the petals is sort of formed in the shape of a pine cone where the petals, instead of, you know, being like a daisy petals, they really kind of lie flat along a central axis so that it is, um, they're more like scales, if you can envision what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's really striking about the hop is the color. The whole flower is bright, bright green like a bright oh. lime green. It almost doesn't seem like a color that could exist in nature. Uh, it's sort of a day-glow color. And the petals sort of feel like paper, like tissue paper. And as the hop grows, it, the flower gets larger, um, but it also, the, the petals develop more, and when it's really ready to pick, it actually seems quite dry and springy. And the real trick is to pick it at the right time, not pick it too early. Mm-hmm. And if you miss your chance and it, and it gets to be too late, the, the, it loses its, all its value. So as someone who's, who's growing hops, what are you sort of looking for to signal to you that it is that right time? Well, this is something we're learning because, you know, we, we're not experienced hop growers. This is only our third year. And I think last year we ended up picking our hops too early. Um, it's the kind of thing that it's got to be the, the right moisture, and there's, there's definitely resources available to help you calculate what the moisture level is in the hop. Um, but it's also very intuitive where you have to be able to, it's tactile. You have to be able to squeeze it and, and sense the certain appropriate springiness and dryness to it, and then you also have to be able to smell it. And the hops have a very, very strong, you know that smell of beer that's really bitter and strong, um, especially in the very hoppy beers. The hop flowers smell like that, um, but there's various subtle gradations of that smell. So you have to be able to identify the perfect smell and, and the perfect time and say, now it's time to harvest and not screw it up. Right. And then so when it is time to harvest, tell us a little bit about like how they're harvested. What's that process from harvesting to uh, to selling to either you know a brewery or perhaps to making making yourself you know are they are, are we using hops just fresh as they are is there like a drying or a process what, yeah, what well, kind of happens then like with everything there's an array of things okay when when you determine it's time to pick and you pick the flowers of course if you have the harvesting machine that's one thing if you don't you're just basically picking them off of the vine by hand and then um, brewers will make a seasonal beverage that is wet, what they call wet hopped. So they can take the green hops when they're still moist before they've gone through any kind of drying or curing process, um, and they can use them to make beer. And it's called a wet hopped ale. And it's a really cool thing, and it's sort of highly seasonal and very fleeting. The thing that's tricky for the hop farmer is in order to provide a brewer with wet hops, you've got to pick them and uh, transport them it quickly because if they sit in any kind of quantity in any kind of a container they immediately start to break down and sort of ferment you know like if you have a big plastic bucket and it's filled with hops and you've just picked them if you stick your hands in there after they've sat there for about an hour it'll feel hot and steamy in there 
it's almost like trying to bale wet hay and put it in a barn. You just don't want to do it. So um, a lot of times what the brewers will do is they'll send their own people from the brewery out to the hop yard. They'll pick all the hops and they'll bring them back to the brewery and they'll right away make the wet hopped beer. Um, for hops that have like a longer shelf life, they have to be dried and um, that's quite a process in and of itself. They have to be kept at a certain temperature, like 120, 130 degrees. There's a lot of controversy about what temperature it should be and what the end product's going to be like because different characteristics are enhanced or um, limited by drying conditions. You have to dry them, and then they can use them. The, basically, you would put it in uh, vacuum-sealed bags, and if you put it in the freezer, they'll keep for a long time like that, and the brewers can use them at any point. Um, for really large-scale production, hop flowers, that once they're dried, are sent to a pelletizer, and they're made into uh, pellets, sort of look like rabbit pellets or grain, feed, you know, grain that you would feed an animal. It's like a little green cylinder. And, um, of course, the really big breweries, it's not practical for them to handle so many actual hop flowers, so they work with pellets and um, almost exclusively. So for a hop grower to be able to sell their product that way, um, you have to be relatively near um, a pelletizing uh, place and, and have your hops processed that way. But that's really more for larger scale production and not something that we're getting into at all on <laughs> our farm. Maybe maybe a next stage of the, the plan. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know, and it even goes beyond that where then they also reduce the hop to hop oils and those are also used for various purposes in huh. brewing. Okay. Well, well, Laura, you also talked about how, um, you know, you guys are, are relatively kind of new at growing hops. You've been around for about about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, especially for, for hop growers in the Northeast, since it is kind of a, um, you know, just kind of starting to, to, to pick up again, what what are some of the resources that are out there or, or not out there? You know, I'm kind of wondering at what point you decided it would be, be you know, useful to, to actually write a resource about this, to, to write a book about, you know, the history and, and your experience um, growing hops. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because I want to give a huge shout out to the, the big three entities that are out there to help us hop growers uh, who are new to growing hops in the Northeast, which is all of us, basically. <laughs> and um, that would be the, the hops project at the University of Vermont and the people working on that. Um, Cornell Cooperative Extension is um, also doing a pilot project at their research station, and um, their extension agent is involved in doing outreach to everybody. And um, the Northeastern Hop Alliance, which I mentioned before, uh, both those entities are involved in that, as well as some other people who've gotten a head start. And it's all about sharing knowledge. And the people who know a little bit more, teaching those of us who are just starting out, as well as the fact that we're all kind of in it together because even the people that know more don't know everything. Um, we're sort of learning this from scratch. And some of the big challenges for us in the Northeast, as I'm sure you've noticed with the crazy weather patterns we've had lately with climate change, um, we're in a cycle of deluge and drought, basically. And um, the deluge part in particular really poses a problem for hop farmers because when hop vines get wet, uh, that's when we get disease and insect infestations. And we're trying to learn how to control those um, sustainably. 
and um, that's where we're working a lot with UVM and Cornell. Right. Okay. And, you know, we are, we're actually we're almost out of time, but sure. one of the things that I, I did want to kind of get a sense from you is what, you know, when you say sustainable hop growing, it, with with the hop production, kind of what does that mean? You know, is that certified or organic? Is it, are there different kind of markers for um, hops as a specific crop? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, it's just like any other crop. I mean, you can, you can be certified organic. Um, you can use conventional means, or you can try to walk the line in between um, using as few toxic things as you can in order, but still trying to keep your plants alive. And one of the good things about hops is a lot of the ways that you would raise them are what would be considered sustainable anyway. Um, they really require a lot of nitrogen, and um, animal manure is obviously one of the best sources of that. So that that helps a lot. And when it comes to insect infestation, one of the best means of controlling the insect infestation is through um, the beneficial insects that prey on the ones that are doing the damage. And so you, we've learned, you know, from the hot project at UVM that you can do a lot more damage by spraying pesticides to kill the damaging insect because then you wipe out your whole beneficial population and it's really hard to get back to equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, well, I think that's that. Um, you know, I think we could probably have a, a whole other, uh, whole other <laughs> conversation about that, and I think we'll probably have to have you back on when your when your book is out. And when when will uh, when will we get to read it? Well, it's going to be a while. I just signed <laughs> the contract. Um, it's being published by Chelsea Green, which is based in Vermont, and um, I know that I have to deliver the manuscript on December first of twenty fourteen. And then um, we go through the whole editing process and the design process. So it's going to be a while before you read the book. Um, All right, well, but we'll we're to... going to learn a lot in the process of writing it and have a lot of fun. Great. Well, we'll have you back on at that point and, uh, and dig into the, to the, to the hops a little bit more. Great. Um, thank you so much, Laura. And, and thanks to everyone for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. Um, this has been the Farm Report. Uh, this, like all of our 30 live weekly shows, can be found on our website or you can subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. And please, if, if you like what you hear today, consider supporting our network by becoming a member. Go to www.heritageradionetwork.org and click that Donate tab. Tune in next Thursday at 1 for another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.